everybody. Good to see all of you here today. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and we are in the middle of a series in Proverbs. But if you haven't met me yet, I would love to meet you after service. Just come say hi uh, at some point. Uh, It would just be nice to meet you. But yeah, like I was saying, we're in the middle of a series on Proverbs. We've covered a lot of fun topics. And uh, this week we have another topic that I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, It is the topic of alcohol. Alcohol. Blame it on the. (laughs) Like I said, we were going to get into everything with this series. But I'm really particularly excited about this uh, talk today, this topic, because I feel like as a church, we need to have clarity around this topic and we need to have unity around it. Uh, And so before we actually jump into the scriptures, what I want to do is I want to talk about two of the three different views that are out there on alcohol. And the first view uh, is kind of the view that I grew up with. And if you grew up in, you know, Pentecostal church like me, then you probably grew up in this view as well. And that is that alcohol is the devil. I mean, there's no other way to put it around it. If you, if you touched it, if you took a picture with it, if you looked at it for a little too long, you know, you were in sin and you were subject to reprimand if you did any of those things. Not forget about it if you consumed it. I mean, you were, oof, that would have been bad. We used to have breathalyzers at the door in our church for the leaders. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They didn't have those back then, and we probably would have had them. You know, one of the funny things about this was with the advent of social media, I mean, this got really bad in the church because you could lie through your teeth all day that you never drank, right? Uh, But when social media came down, it was like the the magnifier police came out, and it was like, you know, I saw at the very top left corner in the shelf in that picture you posted at your house, there was the very bottom of the wine bottle. And that, I, know, I know the look of cooking wine. That wasn't cooking wine. You know, that was drinking wine. You know, and and, and it, you know, it would get crazy. And, and you would have like crazy things that would happen. Um, for instance, I was, I was at, a, at a party uh, once, you know, a, a sober party. It was fine. Nothing bad was going on. I'm talking about this. Some of you are like, you had a party? Just, I was not clubbing, you know. Uh, I was just at a party. There were a couple of drinks out. Uh, and someone found out that this other pastor was coming and you should have seen the mayhem that happened of just the clinking from everybody grabbing all the clink, 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 and running, you know, to throw them in another room. So that the pastor didn't see it when he walked in. And, and it's funny that this argument, people, I'm like tearing right now, just thinking about this laughing <laughs> is that, you know, there was like crazy arguments that happened. It's like, oh, the wine that they drank in the Bible, that was grape juice. You know, that wasn't really wine. Nobody actually drank uh, real wine back then. It was like, then why are there verses about getting drunk off of grape juice, my friend? Not happening. Like, it was like, oh, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine. He just made really good grape juice for everybody. It was like, this is not factually true. Stop saying this. Yes, it is possible that people mixed wine with drinking water to purify the water a little bit. But the wine that we see in scripture is not talking about drinking water. It's talking about something it, something else because of the warnings towards drunkenness that we see constantly. So that was the view I grew up. The second view that I've seen in the church is just nonchalance. This is just like, let's just drink. Let's do it. Alcohol is great. I think it's good. It, it, it's permissible in the Bible. And so let's let's throw a grand party where everybody can drink to your heart's delight. Right. Nonchalance. The Bible says I can do it. So let me live my life. Let me do it. You know, one church I was at, you know, they had literally like no respect for alcohol. I think you need to have some respect. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There was just a lot of permissiveness about it. And I just kept hearing stories about different pastors that would go out hanging out 
with the people in the church. And then the next day they would have to apologize to them for the things that they said and how much they drank. They just kept on getting a little too tipsy every time they're hanging out. I'm just thinking, like, what in the world is going on? Like, this is that's like if if my pastor has to apologize to me every Saturday morning because he got drunk Friday night when we were hanging out. That just didn't seem that. That doesn't sit right with me. I mean, I thank you for your honesty, but this is happening a little too much. And what happens is the, the nonchalance of it is just like, hey, alcohol is great. It's fine. It's okay. Just everybody drinks your heart's delight. What happens is you don't respect the danger of it. You don't respect the things that can come along with it. And what happens is in the church, we only talk about enjoying its fruit. But we don't talk about the things that can come with it, the dangers that can come with alcohol and what it leads to, to you to do. Uh, and, and what I've seen is when we, we have this lack of respect or the lack of understanding of the danger that comes with alcohol is that you have alcoholism in the church. You have lots of people that come to the church to find a safe space from alcohol and they find themselves relapsing because – they see it thrown at them in every left, right, middle direction. It's just, it's always there. It's ever present. So the third view that I want to talk about today that uh, I'm going to call the biblical view. That's a, that's a very like, it's a great name that I think. And, and why I, I want to call it this is because I actually find it quite hard to figure out why people have such varying views on alcoholism. I'm just going to be honest uh, because I feel like the, the scripture is pretty clear uh, about alcohol and where to land on it. And if you wanted to sum up the biblical view in one word and just, you know, if you, you got something to do, you could go home after this. It's just, it's moderation. Moderation. And that is the biblical view if you wanted to sum it up in a word. But it, like I said, oftentimes I, I wonder why there's so much debate about this word or this topic and because I feel like scripture is pretty clear. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through Proverbs today. We'll have little snippets here and there from other places in scripture. Uh, but we're going to mainly stay in Proverbs as we've been doing. Because I think Proverbs adequately covers this topic uh, pretty well. And so the, where I want to start off today is in that, that first, the second camp of where is alcohol okay? Where is alcohol okay? And so for those of us that grew up in legalism, you may already start to be shriveling inside. That What are you talking about, Justin? It is never okay. Just calm down the legalistic devil for a minute and let's just read the scripture together for a moment. <laughs> I'm going to cast it out in a minute if I keep feeling it. So the first place that we see that alcohol is okay is at the feast. And let's read Proverbs chapter 9 together, verses 1 to 6. It says this. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. So what do we see happening here? What is happening here is wisdom is setting up a feast. The, the writer is personifying wisdom. And wisdom is gathering a feast and calling all the fools so that they can learn in the feast. The, the people that want to learn about wisdom. The simple people that lack understanding. She says, come and hang out. Come to my feast. Eat and drink with me. Guess what is at this feast? Wine is at the feast. It is clearly not shown in a negative light here and actually encouraged to enjoy in the feast. And we, we see this same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, we actually covered this, uh, that uh, every year what happened was the people brought in their tithes in Deuteronomy uh, 14. They, it wasn't a cash economy back then, so they would literally bring their tithes, right? They would bring their sheep or their oxen or uh, their whatever, their fruits or their produce. They would bring it. And part of the tithing feast that they would have was they would enjoy some of the fruit of their tithes. And they would have wine and alcohol at the feast. So we see that it is okay to have at the feast. It is clearly not shown negatively. And we see it multiple times in scriptures being okay. 
And it can also be a blessing from God. Do we know that? Wow, some of our heads are exploding right now. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And what is going to happen? Your bams will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here we see a blessing from God, including greater wine production. That is a blessing that will happen, that could happen, is greater wine production. Right? The next allowance that we see is in Proverbs 31, chapter 6. It says this, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. So there's a little debate on this verse, on what it is used for. And we're going to look at both topics, but I... I think both of them are are fine to look at, and we can kind of see clarity with both of them that they actually are both okay, and we see that both being okay in two different places in Scripture. So the context of this right here in in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 6, is that the writer actually says kings shouldn't drink wine because they should not have ever be in a place where their judgment can be impaired. Uh, because they have the responsibility uh, to judge justly their people. So they shouldn't be ones that drink wine. But they kings, what they should do is they should give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those who are in bitter distress. So the two kind of camps that I found with this verse are the writer could be talking about one. This is a medical use of wine. That help those that are sick, right? Because we know that alcohol does have some medicinal benefits. Now, uh, don't don't get crazy. You know, people are going to be like, you know, like this is this is why I'm drinking. This is why I'm smoking weed right now. It's the medicinal benefits of it. You know, I went to the doctor. I gave him a two hundred dollar on the table, and he gave me my card to go get my dispensary, and I'm good now. Like this. So let's not get crazy. There are actually, and we see in 1 Timothy that Paul suggests that Timothy drink some wine to settle his stomach because he was having some stomach issues. So this is one view. The second view that we see possibly here is the king throwing a feast for the poor to enjoy a night and forget their poverty. Uh, And again, we see this. This aspect of the feast, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 14. We see this used in other places. So either one is okay, and either one is an okay translation of this verse. That it can be used for medicinal purposes, and it can be used for throwing a feast to make people feel better. Another example we see, and we're going to leave Proverbs for this one, but the same writers for the most part. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 18 says this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his light. Lot. Sorry. I know I got like, I got the police over here correcting me. So what does this say? You know, essentially, after a long day of work, it is okay to enjoy a glass of wine. Now, before all of you on your way home go and raid the liquor store on the way home, let's continue reading scripture together because I can already see some of you getting your bank account like, how much money do I have in my pocket right now? You know, liquor stores, I think, are open now on Sundays. Uh, There was a time where they were closed on Sundays. But before we do that, before we go stock the bar at our house, let's continue to read. And, and, this is, and this is where I'm going to give us some statistics about alcohol because I think it's not only important to understand the context of Scripture around it, but we have to also understand the context of America around alcohol. It's very important. Like If we are talking about alcohol in America and talking about alcohol in Europe, we're really talking about two very different things. And I'll tell you why in a second. Because in America, 20 million people suffer from substance abuse today. 20 million people. That is a staggering number. That is a lot. That is getting very close to the 10% mark. Not quite there, but very close to the 10% mark. That is how many people are suffering with substance abuse. Now, this includes drug and alcohol abuse. But what's interesting about the U.S. is the U.S. has the largest substance abuse problem, larger than any other country in the world. The U.S. has the largest substance abuse problem. Larger than any other country in the world. 
So this understanding and context helps us form a view of alcohol as a church today. And we're going to continue to read and we're going to form that view through reading scripture together. But we have to understand this one point. And I think this may be where the gray areas come and why there's so much debate is that there are a lot of good things that God gives us. But when we do those things in excess, they lead to destruction. When we do those things and misuse them, they become sin and lead us to death. I think sex is a great example of that. Seth is, sex is a, is a great gift that God gave to humans. It is incredible. If you've ever enjoyed sex in the context that it's supposed to be used, you can adhere that it is an incredible thing to enjoy. But sex can be taken out of context and can be used to destroy your life, can be used as a a symbol of sin or a type of sin that leads to death, that leads to destruction. We have many people here that can adhere also to that. So alcohol is very much like that. It is a good gift that has been given to us by God that in excess will lead us to destruction. So scripture gives us very clear and ample warning for this when it comes to alcohol. That's what we're going to read now. So we're going to read in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So if you were here a few weeks ago, we went through the scoffer, right? And we look at the word here, mocker and scoffer. Same word, same. So this, the writer is saying wine is a mocker. It really brings out the, the, the scoffer. In the person, strong, strong drink is a brawler. And we learned about everything that a scoffer that isn't good about a scoffer, the ways that life is sinful. We learned that alcohol can bring that out in somebody. Alcohol, what it does is it amplifies foolish behavior. Alcohol amplifies foolish behavior. And so if you are prone, like if we were going through the fool and we went through the scoffer, we went through the sluggard, if you find yourself prone to that type of living, prone to the living of the fool, prone to the living of the scoffer, then really what you should understand about alcohol is it is a good idea to stay away from it. Because what will happen is in your life is if you are the scoffer, if you are the fool and you add something on top of that that is only going to amplify that behavior, then you have to understand that it is a great idea that maybe I shouldn't amplify this thing in my life. The first thing that I need to learn is discipline and gain wisdom. Now, once I learn discipline and gain wisdom and walk in the way of wisdom, then alcohol will not be a substance that amplifies our foolishness. It will be something that can be used and how God intended it, which is something that is good as a gift. But many times what happens is we will read scripture and we will see the permissiveness of alcohol and we will not take understand the danger of it, not understand where it could take me and where it could lead me. And so then I find myself not only as a fool and a scoffer, but now I'm adding something to my life. That does not become a good gift, but becomes an amplification of the sinfulness in my life that is already there. And so we have to begin to understand the dangers of alcohol and where it can lead us. And what Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 32 does, is it begins to explore this life a little bit more. And so we're going to read this together and explore this a little bit more together. It says this, starting in verse 29. It says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Right? If, if you are seeing yourself that you have a lot of strife in your life, if you find yourself complaining a lot in life, if you have a lot of sorrow in life, if you have a lot of wounds in your life, what happens? 
alcohol is not a good place to go because what will happen? It will only amplify. It will not help these situations. It will actually hurt these situations. It will amplify. It will make it worse in your life. So those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. So mixed wine was a little bit stronger than regular wine. They would put spices in it, cinnamon, some other things that would actually add to the potency of the alcohol content in the wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mass. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Right? This, is, this passage is talking about the life of the alcoholic. The details of the drunkard. The thing about alcohol is it is a real addiction. This is, this is not something to joke about. This is not something that's funny. It is something that truly destroys somebody's life as we can read here. You may be here and have struggled with the addiction of alcohol or struggling with it currently. It is a true thing that can hurt and can destroy. And so that's why the the camp that is dismissive about the danger of alcohol and very nonchalant about it. You know, I find that, you know, people are like, oh, you know, I, I drink a lot, but I only get drunk once in a while. You should stop drinking. If you have a routine of getting drunk every so often whenever you go drinking, then you should not be getting around alcohol. You know, imagine I I told my wife, you know, I I lust all the time, but I only sleep with the girl every once in a while. (laughs) Right? That sounds crazy. But that's exactly what we're saying to God. That's that's exactly the, the exact train of thought that we are saying to God. Yeah, 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 you know, I I can enjoy this every once in a while, but sure, it leads me to break my covenant with you. Sure, it it leads me into sin every now and then, but you're cool with that. You're okay with that. Right? We sound like Adam. It was the woman you gave me, taking no ownership over our sin. You know, what we need to understand about America. And why I read that stat is because this is an important topic in the church today because so many people in the church today are struggling with it. What I found about statistics is a lot of times the statistics that you find just regularly in the world are the same statistics that you will find in the church. And I I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the church is filled with broken people, as it should be. If we are a place of only righteous people, of only perfect through him people, then what would happen is that we would be forsaking the mission of the church. We would not truly, in my opinion, be a church. And so what we have is we have the the brokenness amplified not only of humankind, but of the country that we live in surrounding us in the church today. What alcohol does is it affects your judgment, it affects your choices, and it affects your stability as a person, and this is why it needs to be respected and understood as possibly dangerous. And what I want to look at, I want to look at these last couple of verses here. In verse 33, it says, Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. Now, if you've ever experienced being drunk, then you know that this is just telling a true story that your eyes will see strange things or you will utter perverse things. What happens is, like I said, this amplifies the things that are happening in our heart or creates a a a mode of something that we are not it it takes away our consciousness and, and robs us of the ability to obey and to be holy like jesus is holy and like god is holy and what he causes us to do to say things that maybe we wouldn't have said to do things that we wouldn't have done This is the the life of alcohol. This is when it is consumed too much, when it is abused, when it it becomes 
ranging from enjoying a glass of wine to becoming an alcoholic, these are serious problems that begin to happen. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. So if you know a boat, the top of the mast is the very top of the boat, and it is the most unstable part of the boat. So it is a thing that sways back and forth. What happens is it's saying that alcohol will make your life incredibly unstable. If you give yourself over to alcoholism and allow that addiction to run wild in your life and you give yourself over to drunkenness, what it does is it creates the instability in your life. Like you're sitting at the top of the mass of a boat and every wind that hits you, you're getting tossed to and fro. And then the last, it says, they struck me, and you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. At the end, it doesn't realize the harm. And that's one of the biggest dangers of substance abuse is it begins to feel, to to not feel, to numb the pain. And then when it comes back, what does it want? It just wants one more. Just give me another drink. Just give me another hit. It's a vicious cycle. Because it numbs you from the pain and the wounds and the brokenness that it is adding to your life. But then just wants another one at the end of the story. Just brings yourself to another drink. I've known pastors who were clean for over a decade fall back into it because a cup here and there at a bad time in life becomes a bottle here and there. Right? In AA, I think one of the things that I have learned about addiction from studying this is that no matter how long you have been sober, whether it's six months or 30 years, that you are always classified as an alcoholic. That doesn't go away. Uh, And the reason why I think this is good, and it's not speaking just negativity over your life, is because it reminds you to stay in a humble posture and to always have caution. Because a lot of times what happens is when I see a sin go away in my life, I become to get prideful. And I forget about the, the death that that sin has caused in my life. And when I become prideful, I begin to tell God, well, I can take care of this. I don't need you. As much anymore because I am good on my own. And so when I, I stop allowing myself to remember the, what my flesh is, what my flesh desires, and what my flesh will go to the minute I allow it to, I am filled with pride and pride will lead me back into destruction. And so one of the things I, I like is this understanding that I am an alcoholic. Right? I am, you know, fill in the blank. Because what that does is it keeps you humble. It keeps your posture before God saying, God, I don't care if it's been 40 years or four days. I need you to continue to go forward. Now, if you have ever dealt with addiction and you have come out of it, you understand what I'm talking about. If you have never dealt with addiction, you may be over-spiritualizing this and saying, Justin, you are speaking negatively over your life. And I would just say, thank God you don't understand what I'm talking about. But take it from someone who's a former addict to other substance that this is what the addict's life is. It is a temptation that is ever present. And the moment that we think that it no longer has control or no longer has power, that is the moment that I become weak to it. And so when I remind myself of what God saved me from, of the title that I was called, of who I was, that what that does is it keeps me in a posture of praise and worship, adoration, humility before him. And so at our church, one of the policies that we have is we don't allow alcohol at any of our church functions. Uh, And some people have a problem with this. Some people don't have a problem with it. But the thing about this is our church is made up of current alcoholics, ex-alcoholics, and future alcoholics. I'm going to say it again. Our church is made up of alcoholics, current alcoholics, past alcoholics, and future alcoholics. And what happens is 
What I don't want is to add a stumbling block at one of a, a church function for somebody that is coming that is looking to the church to escape this substance. And this is why it's important to understand what country we live in. Because the, the context of our country is that this is a problem. And as part of the responsibility of the church as a leader, I have to make a clear call about this problem that I don't want a church function, a safe place... To be a place where somebody can get a taste back or start a new taste for something in their life that can, in our culture, is very destructive and very harmful, very hurtful. And so that is why that we have this policy. It's, it's not because we're legalistic. It's because we, we, in Romans, Paul says, do not let the freedom you enjoy become a stumbling block to a brother or sister. Now, when Paul was talking about this, he was talking about food laws. Some people were like, yeah, I can eat pork and I can you know, eat all this other stuff. It's no problem. Food that it was in this place or in that place. And then some other Christians that had come out of the idle lifestyle of food, they were, they were finding themselves stumbled because of that. So Paul said, yeah, you can eat whatever food you want. But if it causes a brother or sister to sin, don't do it. You can enjoy your freedom. Go and enjoy it. But what is, what is worth more, your freedom or carrying your brother or sister along with you in their walk with God? And so whenever we have to make that call as a church or as a culture, we should make the call of, I'm going to lay down my freedom. I'm going to lay down the, the freedom that I can enjoy in God so that my brother or my sister does not have to stumble because I want to exercise my freedoms in Christ. Proverbs 23, verse 20 to 21 says this, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Alcoholism not only brings you to physical poverty or financial poverty, but also to a spiritual poverty. This is what it does. It robs your joy from Christ. And instead, it looks to substance for satisfaction. Where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, I am the rivers of living water that when you drink from me or when you eat from me, you will never thirst. You will never be hungry again. What alcoholism does as it says, no, you will find your joy, you will find your rest, you will find your comfort, you will find your healing from your pain, you will find it in me. And it robs the things that God is supposed to do in your life with a false God, a, a, a false satisfaction that not only doesn't heal, doesn't satisfy, but only extends and amplifies the wound that it's saying it's going to fix in the first place. So what we have to do then is we have to ask ourselves why we are about to take every drink that we take. We cannot over ask ourselves this question. If you are going to celebrate, great. If it was prescribed, great. Check on the doctor, but great. But if you are depressed, stay away. Do not drink. If you are anxious, Think about it again. This will not solve your anxiety. It may be a momentary numbness, but it will only amplify the wounds that have caused the anxiety. If you are lonely, if you are feeling down, it is not the thing that will solve your loneliness. It is not the thing that will solve the feeling that you have that you are trying to cover with alcohol. When we use alcohol to substitute what God gives joy, peace, satisfaction, then we are in danger of a good thing becoming a God thing. So if you have struggled with alcoholism before, I would say none of these occasions are okay. If this has been something that you've struggled with before, stay away. Right, if, if, you, if you walk away from the sermon as a previous alcoholic and, and you say, well, actually, it is okay for me to drink and I'm going to do not let the taste hit your lips. That is not, there is not freedom to do that today. 
Because we want to use wisdom from the book that we are reading. And wisdom and understanding says this is not something you should do. Wisdom learns from people who have been in the situations you have been in so that you do not have to repeat their folly. And the wisdom from alcoholics who have relapsed is never take another alcoholic drink again. That is the wisdom from alcoholics who have relapsed. I have, and what we see is we see situations that look okay on the outside but turn into alcoholism. One thing I see constantly is moms who want to unwind from their day. You know, their, their kids have been going crazy. Kids go to sleep. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to have two glasses of wine. I'm going to have four glasses of wine. I'm going to have five, five glasses of wine. What I've seen is I've seen in our culture today in America, I've seen dozens of moms become alcoholics because they've used the excuse of my kids gave me a hard day and I need to unwind as drinking an entire bottle of wine. I've seen guys sad about life go to the bar to find their comfort, to find their friendship, not with people, not with what God tells you to be in community with, but with alcohol. See, the alcohol is the friend that is not there to help. Alcohol is the friend that is there to use you, to abuse you, and to take you of everything that you have. Alcohol is not your friend at the end of the day. Substances are not your friend. At the end of the day, they will not do what God has promised to do. We may say, well, I'm coming home from work and I want to de-stress. I want to feel better. I had a hard day. Say, go to God for your de-stress. Go to God to to give you an easy burden. Go to God to, to give you a light load. Substances and alcohol, these are not things that you go to. To... Lift and lighten your burden. God is the one that you go to. Jesus makes that very plain, very clear. And when we do these things, what happens is poverty will find you, whether that's spiritual or physical, and probably both. So what I want to do today that's a little bit different than usual is we're, we're, we're going to talk about kind of next steps. If you are dealing with if you, if you are an alcoholic or you've been dealing with substance abuse, the point of today is not to make you feel bad, but the point of today is to help you know where to go as the next step. So there may be some of you that, are, that find yourself right now struggling with alcoholism. You've been struggling with alcohol abuse in your life. You've been struggling with drug abuse in your life, whatever it is, narcotics or alcohol. There has been a substance abuse and you are here and you are struggling with that. And so what I did is I wanted to ask, uh, I asked two people to come and just one to share a testimony and one to talk from a place of experience of knowing what this life is and being free from it for many years. And so I'm going to invite uh, Angel and Mike uh, to come up here. Uh, Lopez. Where are you? And so Angel is, is going to share a quick testimony because I, what I want us to understand is that God is greater. Yes. Yeah. If we are struggling with abuse, if we are struggling in any of these substance abuse, alcohol abuse, that God is greater. And you may find yourself in that situation that, man, I have tried and it is not going to work. But I want you to hear the testimony of somebody who has come out of that and has the story to tell that Jesus is greater. Amen? So I'm going to give it over to Angel for a minute to share some of his story. Hello, everyone. Um, you guys are my family now. Uh, ever since I joined Zion. and uh, I struggled for a long time. You guys are my family. You guys, I love each and every one of you. I love coming here every Sunday. Um, alcohol has affected my life since I was uh, 17 years old. I started drinking. Hanging out on corners. You know, started on the weekends for a little while. Then it was parties, then, you know, after work. And it affected my life. I lost uh, everything, uh, everything I ever had that I cared about. Daughter. You know, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to go through, but, uh, you know, I made a phone call to Justin one day. I said, Justin. I want to put an end to this, man. I, want, I, don't, I, I don't want to spend all my money and, and not know where the next, how am I going to pay my rent, how am I going to pay my bills, because I started with one drink at the bar, and 
it just continued and continued and I was there, I was the last person leaving, just forgot about my life and my responsibilities. And uh, Mike, uh, Justin, you know, asked me if he could give my number after he said a prayer for me and uh, to Mike, gave my number to Mike and you know, Mike helped me every single day for five months. He never stopped calling me, never stopped texting me. And, you know, through Justin and Mike, God uh, helped me through something I, you know, I thought I could never get over. 20 years, you know, 20 years. And I can say today that today makes three months that I haven't. I haven't smoked any marijuana. I haven't drank any alcohol or done any of the drugs that I've used to. And uh, it's not easy. You know, we have a lot of things that will pollute our minds. The music you listen to, the things you see on TV, there's, there's tons of triggers out there. But there, there is hope. And uh, I just want to let you guys know that if anybody's out there that needs any help, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. It's embarrassing, you're shameful of it, and you know, but there is help for you guys here. Amen. Call somebody, ask for help, take that first step. Amen. Good morning, family. Ah, oh, that's a hard one. I promised myself that I won't cry seeing that. So, you know, this is a tough subject, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. And uh, it was funny, I saw a meme on Facebook and how Trump said he's gonna build a wall to stop from the drugs coming in. And then the meme went to go on and say, uh, don't have to worry too much about the drugs coming in because there will be people climbing over to get them anyway. And that was sad, that was sad. So let me just read a little, uh, some statistics I want to share with you about alcohol and drug abuse events here in America, in New York City. Alcohol is the third leading cause of death. Every six hours, someone dies with drug overdose in New York City. More New Yorkers die of drug overdoses than homicide, suicide, and motor vehicles crashes combined. Heroin, opiate overdose death in New York City have increased for seven consecutive years. Heroin, fentanyl is involved in approximately half of all overdose deaths. Opiates, heroines are involved in more than 80% of all overdose deaths. Overdoses are now the third leading cause of death. I want that to sink in, because you may be sitting next to somebody who's struggling, because I know I sat in the seats for a long time and struggled. I wouldn't raise my hand, because I was ashamed. It destroyed many lives, many relationships. And I know as family members watching your loved ones suffer at the hands of addiction, it's hopeless. And it drags you through it as well, right? This is a family disease. This is a spiritual disease. It affects everyone. It tore my family and my marriage apart. Nearly destroyed it. So let me give you a little picture of what addiction may feel or is like. How many love to drink a sip of coffee in the morning? All right? Honey, what would our day be without a sip of Costello? <laughs> that would be price, that would be uh, something to pay. If you see my back, I have some whelks on the back. <laughs> if I don't get her coffee ready, she takes out this spaghetti linguine, right? Because linguines are fatter, they're not like spaghetti, 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 bigger lashes. And that would be a problem. So, my first thing in the morning, we need to get some coffee, you know what I'm saying? 
Okay. So that's two lashes. That's two lashes. So now let me tell you. Let me go a little bit further. Justin, let me use you as an example. Where's your phone at, Justin? That's your phone. All right. Can you pick up your phone for me for a second? I'll just make. I know you're recording. Okay. You take this is your phone. Right now. Give me your phone. You can never have your phone again. How does that feel? That sucks. <laughs> Somewhat addiction is like, multiply that by 20. And let me give you the final view of my perspective in my darkest times. You ever see on cartoons when a character falls from a high building and they hit the cement and then there's an imprint and they're in that imprint. So in 2009, this is where I was at. In a motel by myself, to fight it in some cocaine and alcohol. I was empty, broken, desperate. I shattered everything, God. I'm no good, I will always being an addict. I think I'm gonna die like this. So God, I'm crying out to you. Come take me. I have enough of this. Enough. So I took all those three substances in hopes that the lights would go out. They did go out. But some hours later, I woke up. God's grace got me out. And that's where my journey began into sobriety and recovery. Were there some tough times? Absolutely. Um, my family, my, my children, they supported me. And it's gonna take a family effort to do this. We can't do it alone. And I know the family that you're tired, the wife, you're angry, you're upset, you're mad, you're frustrated. But keep your eyes open in your heart. Don't harden your hearts because your loved one is suffering from the disease addiction. Some of us say that addiction is as serious as cancer. But keep, keep praying, keep praying. And we want to support you. We want to be a community within a community that's going to attack this as well with you. Yes. We're going to put a, a spiritual salt on that. Yes. And we have resources. We want to surround you as a family, surround a family member, put you in a direction for you to get healing, or maybe to go healing with them or together. We're not sure how we're going to do it, but we're going to help you. We want to do that. We want to be here for you. And I want to thank Justin for giving this opportunity for us to uh, to talk about this, this conversation. Thanks. Uh, it's tough to share after that. Uh, thank you, Angel. Thank you, Mike. Just for the honesty of sharing your story. That's not easy. Uh, what I want to do is I just want to share resources now. Mike gave me a, a bunch of resources. It may be hard to step forward and, and say, this is me. There's a, like Angel said, there's a lot of shame that comes with this. Um, but first, I just want to say, if you want to walk through this with the, with the body, with the church, uh, then we want to walk through with you. Mike uh, has just been such a faithful man and committing to help people walk through uh, any kind of substance abuse in our church. Uh, so if you want and say, man, I, I need help in this and, uh, you know, don't come to, to Mike for somebody else. Uh, the person actually has to themselves come and say this. And so uh, if you can email, uh, if you want to email the church info at Zion.myc and just say, like, I need help. I'll just forward your information straight to Mike. Uh, if you want to write on the prayer card. We have prayer cards at the giving table or at the connect table. You can write it in, throw it in the offering basket right outside. Uh, we will make sure your information gets to Mike that 
He'll give you a call or email you, whatever it is, and, and let you know what those next steps are. Or you could just find him after service and talk to him and, and just say, you know, I'm ready uh, to walk through this with you. And, and he'll, he'll walk through that uh, with you. Uh, I just also want to put up some resources on the screen. Uh, the first thing that is Celebrate Recovery. This is a Christian 12-step program. Uh, so if you are looking for Christian resources, CelebrateRecovery.com is a Christian 12-step program that you can go to uh, that will walk you through this process, the 12 steps. There is AA. Uh, so AA.org uh, is non-Christian but founded in Christian principles. I've seen many people go through AA and come out clean and sober. There is NA for narcotics. If it's not alcohol, if it's some kind of other drug, that is NA.org. Uh, then there's Smart Recovery, uh, S-M-A-R-T Recovery. So if you're an introvert and you have a hard time like going to the group meetings, this is online uh, recovery. So you can go online and join a class online and start the process that way. Then if uh, the, the last resource is, is for friends and family. We know, like Mike said, this is not a singular problem. This affects friends. This affects families uh, pretty robustly. And so if you are in that uh, camp, A-L-A-N-O-N, uh, that is uh, N-Y-C-A-L-A-N-O-N.org. You see it on the screen. Uh, you can write that down, go on there, and they have a whole support system, resources for friends and family members that struggle uh, through this. Uh, but the, the thing that we have to know is that Christ is greater. And what alcohol, what drugs, what all addictions, what they will try to lie to you and tell you is that Christ is not greater. You've tried things before and they haven't worked. It's going to be too hard. Uh, and that is the lie of the enemy to keep us in our sin and in our addictions. Uh, and sometimes we don't recognize that lie until we have reached rock bottom. Uh, but today I'm praying that the Holy Spirit can intervene in your heart and in your mind and expose the lie of the enemy, expose the lie of sin, that this does not have to be something that you carry with you. This is not something that you have to live with for the rest of your life, that there is freedom and that there is healing that comes with Jesus. Amen. Can you stand with me as we worship?